Here, talk again a little bit more. Uh, Mike's coming down the stairs with some coffee. And oh, no, that's my daddy. He just finished working out. Hey, Dad. Ready to start Three Dogs North? Tell your dad what up. Dad, Father Connor says what up. <laughs> I think you have talking to the microphone, actually. Hey, Father. How are you? Hey, Mr. Metz. Father, have you been praying for me this Advent? Um, not explicitly, but you're always in my prayers. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's good equivocation. <laughs> Father, how about in the last couple of days here, you dial it up for Mr. Metz? Yeah, I will do that. Dial it up for Mr. Metz, please. You have no idea how badly I'm in need. <laughs> you know I'll do it. Hey, what are y'all going to talk about today? Whatever the Holy Spirit decides. Okay. What time do you want me on? <laughs> <laughs> no, get out of here. Crazy old man. Hey, Father, Merry Christmas. Merry I Christmas, Mr. You all Mitch. the time. Thanks. All right. Appreciate it. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So we're podcasting live from my dad's office. Whoa. In between my dad working out in the weight room and <laughs> little kids already super smash broing it up. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I seriously think they woke up and walked out and turned on the TV <laughs> and started playing Super Smash Brothers because it's Christmas break. And that's what you do. Yeah, that is what you do. Amen. Yeah, Juice, you missed it. Mr. Metz made an appearance. Oh, you're kidding me. Mm -hmm. Dude, what Three Dogs North never could have dreamed of something like that. <laughs> I mean that. Rob, honestly, do not encourage him. <laughs> He's like, he goes, what are you guys talking about today? And I said, whatever the Holy Spirit decides. And he goes, okay, when do you want me on? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yes. What did You're you answer? This is crucial. What did you answer him? Uh, I said, buzz off, old man. There you go, dude. There you go. That's not, I was there. You didn't say that. <laughs> Come on, dude. He wasn't. <laughs> I was okay, so, you have a thing I was stone-faced. <laughs> I was stone-faced man. He yeah. couldn't measure up. Look, I don't have to include that audio. People don't have to know. <laughs> and another thing. Yeah, so, hey, um... So JP has been one of our earliest listeners. When when I first when we first started the podcast and we sent out some of the episodes, um, I remember the group that I the sample audience that I chose to listen to and give feedback was basically all of my brothers, and so they have been literally the first listeners that we had were were my little brothers besides JP, my older brother and your older brother. Mm -hmm. You're right. So just brothers. Our brothers were essentially the first. Right. What about Ross? He's listened to a couple here and there, probably. That's yeah, we're going to count him. I'd say, I'd say the Johnson family, including Rob, have listened to the least amount of Three Dogs North episodes. <laughs> yeah. I would say all of us combined, we're probably at between eight and ten episodes, so including me. So, I mean, that's pretty good because the <laughs> early ones are included. Yeah, on that. That's more than I expected. <laughs> it probably is more than his actual. <laughs> you anyway. Eight of these things you've produced? Well, this What's is that? Um, oh, okay, I, I okay, listened okay. to all, like, 50 of the first three seasons. Wow, or is it, nice. Well, because I had to edit them. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I just knew the episodes. But... 
uh, Connor, do you? How many have you edited since we started this new season? I think this this would be the fifteenth of this season. And this is season four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think I've actually. I maybe listened to one of this season. So JP, what were your initial reactions when you first listened? Um, awe. I was really? Awe. I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, it was good. It was fun. They, they, they were fun. That was, that's what was appealing to me. Um, you know, just to hear a couple of young guys talk about, uh, important things instead of, you know, like stupid stories about what they did on the weekends. Well, you guys were still kind of talking about that, yeah. <laughs> but not the same stories I was hearing at college. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's just been fun listening to a couple of guys talk about that, and especially how excited y'all are about the priesthood. I was telling Mike last night about how appealing that is, mm-hmm. um, and so to hear hear some young seminarians talk about how excited they are to be a priest and to make that sacrifice was really cool. It was really cool, really fun to listen to. Um, yeah, we got a great uh, email last night, actually. I haven't had a chance to respond yet, but from a guy down at University of Alabama <clears throat> who's a convert, and he says, nice. want to let you guys know that I absolutely love your podcast and has really helped me confirm a call to the priesthood for me. Whoa. Uh, pray for me. That's no awesome. No way. Mm-hmm. Dang, dude. We have been getting That's some awesome. of the most baller emails. Seriously. Yeah. That one, you sent that one a few days ago. That was super cool, too. Right. I don't remember the guy's name, but very awesome. That's uh, that email was the it was the epitome of why we started the podcast. Yeah, like to the T. Yeah, guy so, on the fringes, you know, not necessarily a hardcore Catholic. You know, hey, you guys got me thinking about stuff, and I went to confession, and yada yada yada. Mm. That's it. <clears throat> yeah, it's totally great. Relax. I just started reading Diary of a Country Priest. Oh yeah. Um, which I've really liked so far. Have you guys read that? Skimmed it. Okay. Well, anyway, um, it's just, it's one of like the first parts of the book. And I was reading the intro to this book. I don't know who wrote it, but he's saying this. this George Bernanos. No, no, no. The intro, who wrote the intro? Um, (laughs) I I don't remember his name. I just wanted to show off that I knew that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, this is what that podcast is about, showing off. Well done. Uh, anyway, the, uh, so in the intro, he was saying that this character of the priest in this book is based off of, obviously, at least the spirituality of St. Therese, which I thought was very interesting. Hmm. And like in the first page or two, he's talking about, I don't remember the line, but pretty much he says that He's like looking out over the village that he's called to be this priest in. And he sees the sun going down on this village as the sun sets. And like there's this realization that there's nothing he can do for the sun setting on this village. But there's like this delight in him that it's like a spiritual childhood, even as a priest there. So I just thought it was a very interesting take. Um, it, it kind of like spurred a lot of reflection in me of even in priesthood. And we talk a lot about spiritual fatherhood, which is very much kind of like living into that call that we have, but also, you know, providing, like providing as a father and, and, 
whether it be material things like for the the church or your parish or obviously um, sacramental grace to give to the people and um, that come to you is awesome. But there's also at the end of the day, like even as a priest, these are God's children and like we can't save them by ourselves. Hmm. So I just thought that was a cool, it was a very simple line, like that reflection of as the sun went down, like he rejoiced because there was nothing he could do for this village about the darkness setting in. That's, so that's interesting. One. I was I was kind of thinking, or I had a similar feeling last night. Uh, mm-hmm. We had Holy Hour and Confessions, which we just started uh, this fall, once a week adoration and an hour of confessions. And the first couple of times, there was tons and tons of people there and we were staying after to hear all the confessions. And I, uh, I kind of felt like we were paying back rent mm. uh, for not having that much of because we when we got here the two of us uh, the pastor and myself we basically had the saturday morning half hour kind of deal mm-hmm. uh, so we wanted to pump that up a bit but then there was a, a big lull you know for a couple months there you know nobody would come for the first half hour then like two or three people would come and then you know you do benediction and that was it yep. um, but this advent you know, we had a ton of people at the Advent penance service. I've had a ton of people on Saturday mornings. And then, like last night, just looked solid, both of us in the confessional mm. for the whole hour. And um, I don't know, it was just, it was interesting. Like, the, I'm doing all this work with RCIA and Bible study with the teens and, you know, youth group and different ways I'm trying to engage people um, and invest in them, make disciples. But, in some ways, I feel like the most fruit. Well, the, the feeling I had last night was maybe the most fruitful thing has been exposing the Blessed Sacrament for an hour a week, um, mm. Mm. and just seeing it, it was a lot easier to see God working that way, um, that it wasn't dependent on me, and especially in the confessional, it's it's sort of a passive mode. You're just sitting there waiting for people to come to you, yeah. um, but in a way, it makes it even more beautiful because then it's it's a pure action of the Holy Spirit drawing people in like they don't. And a lot of times people have to get over fear and nervousness, especially people who haven't been in years, mm-hmm. um, sometimes up to 10 years or more. Um, but I was doing evening prayer at the end. Uh, after everybody left, I just stayed in the confessional and, and did evening prayer. And the reading last night was be patient, my brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer awaits the precious yield of the soil. He looks forward to it patiently while the soil receives the winter and the spring rains. You too must be patient. Steady your hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand. That image of the farmer, like through winter and then the spring rains and, you know, like the snow melts and softens the soil and then the spring rains come and the seeds are planted and, you know, you're working hard, but you have no control. You know, it's all a matter of the weather and the miracle of the fact that seeds grow into things and I don't know, it's not a super profound thing, but it was very consoling for me, uh, especially on this, you know, wrapping up the year, uh, the calendar year to see like the, the, sometimes you feel like, am, am I doing anything here? Is anything having an effect? You know, things yeah. don't seem that different, but, uh, on a personal level, like you microscope <laughs> it down to, to individual souls and that's all there really is, man. There is no like, we have this many people coming to mass or this many people converting this year. That's numbers don't mean anything. It's all human beings, you know? Yeah. Anyway, 
No, that's it's interesting. I just caught in there even how profound that notion is for you to say like as busy as you are, all the stuff you've been asked to do and have done as a priest in the past year, like even the thought that the most fruitful thing could be expo- exposing the blessed sacrament for an hour each week. Um man, that's like that's an amazing thing even to even to think is possible, honestly. Um which is super cool, but the, I guess the other thing what it spurred in me is my uh, my parents got a Christmas card from an older priest who actually baptized me. He still sends them a, a Christmas card every year, um, but and he included a homily he wrote in this card, and he was talking about like you know after fifty or sixty years of priesthood or however long he's been a priest. Um, how often he gets the question, at least implicitly, like, why did God become man? Um, why did, and why is the Eucharist so important? Um, especially like at Christmas when we talk about the incarnation, um, like the enfleshment or the enmeetment of God. The enmeetment? I like that. Enmeetment, yeah. Um, <laughs> la carne. So, what's that? La carne asada. La carne, yeah. Um, but he he gave he answered it in a story, which I thought was super cool. It stuck with me anyway. And he told this story from um, a soldier like wrote about this after World War II, and I don't know where they were, um, you know, during the war or whatever. But they they came into some type of of camp, refugee type camp, and there was an orphanage there. And the soldiers went in, and it was, I think it might have been Christmas Eve, and like this place offered them shelter for the night. And so they go into the, the orphanage, and the kids come and, and greet them. And I think it was, you know, from the sound of it, it was a very emotional experience because they didn't have like the orphanage where it was, couldn't provide anything for these kids for, for Christmas. And so the soldiers went around, and some of them had like some chocolate bars and, he said they were literally just like passing out to where like every kid got something. Um, you know, if they had a nickel, they would give it to a kid. If they had whatever, a stick of gum, that was their Christmas present. Hmm. And the soldier got to one little boy. He was like three or four and over and he was kind of quiet. And he went up to him and uh, asked him what he wanted. He had a few things in his hand. And the kid asked him if he would just hold him for like five minutes. Um and he talked about how much of an impact that had on him as a soldier that like all this kid wanted in the whole world was just to be held, like to be skin to skin with this guy that would protect him, you know, as a three year old or whatever. Um, and he used that story to kind of answer that question. It's like, that's why God, um, you know, took on our nature. That's why he came in the flesh so that, you know. It has all kinds of implications so that he could assume um, our nature completely and thus redeem us. But just like that very human interaction, we all kind of get that, that all that three-year-old wanted was just to be held, to know it was going to be okay. Um, so I thought that was a really good answer to the incarnation, but I, it kind of cued me in when you were talking about, of all the stuff you do as a priest, an hour of exposing the Blessed Sacrament may be the most fruitful. Dude, that's that's deep. Yeah, do you remember Father Fran's been uh, talking, uh, Father Dog, um, about, and, you know, Father Fran's been not a professor. He's not a theologian. He's just a good man, a great priest. Yeah. Um, 
so his homilies, you know, are often or were like compared to the, all the theology professors up at the seminary were not as complex and profound maybe, but he was talking once in a camp meeting about, uh, I think it was around Christmas time, like this woman who told him maybe decades after he preached this homily at this parish on Christmas, uh, some insight that he had said that had stuck with her, her basically her whole adult life, which was oh. when you, when you love someone, you want to be with them. Mm. That was his explanation for, christmas mm. and the incarnation and it that was like so profound to her that it it had made total sense of the manger and the virgin and the shepherds and all that when you love someone you want to be with them um, oh. but i was thinking about um i tweeted out this video of the teddy bear toss did you guys see this video did i send it to you the I don't teddy bear so. toss oh dude it's hysterical um <laughs> it's this minor league hockey team in calgary canada and every year they do a teddy bear toss where everybody in the in the arena brings a, a teddy bear to donate to kind of like Toys for Tots, kind of needy kids for Christmas uh, sometime in December. And the tradition is that the first home team goal, everybody throws their teddy bears onto the ice. Um, and then they collect them up and, and donate them. But they, <laughs> there's this video put out by the team where the guy scores the goal and immediately just like, thousands and thousands of teddy bears come careening down like a waterfall from the upper decks all the way down and people are just like catching them and throwing them and catching them and throwing them and they're piling up on the ice uh and it looks insane <laughs> and uh everybody's laughing and there's kind of a christmasy song and then the the players it's like interrupting the middle of a hockey game and the players <laughs> are just like throwing their gloves and sticks and jumping on piles of teddy bears and helping collect them with snow shovels and putting them in the back of Toyota Tacomas that are, they brought out on the ice to collect them. And <laughs> uh, the mascots like screwing around and the two opposing teams are like laughing together. And um, I watched it like five times because it it's so, uh, I don't know, demonstrated to me like what the birth of God into the world does to everything that we think is so serious and important you know like hockey players in the middle of a hockey game this is what they do for a living and we're just like yeah but teddy bears for poor kids <laughs> and we just like think about something totally different uh and that this is what's important is that generosity and uh sense of humor and like i guess the the miracle of it is so profound that um even if people aren't thinking about that explicitly, this is why we're doing it. But it always happens around Christmas that we do stuff like this um, because it, it gets us out of our like normal uh, that this is all there is. I just got to put my head down and do do life. You're like, wait a minute. Hold on. There's something even bigger and more magical about life. Let's uh, let's do this instead. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and to, I guess, expand on that point is... I love I love how the church has an understanding with I think it's an incarnate reality that that the church lives in the way that the liturgical season progresses and like I was thinking why we celebrate Christmas every year we celebrate the birth of Jesus every year and like you'd think it would kind of get old or something you know like oh this again we do this every single year right but like you're saying it's it's so important it turns everything on its head that you think was, you know, so super important beforehand, 
but also how how long the process is. Like we have to take we take four weeks out of our lives to intentionally prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord. And I just uh, and the same goes for Lent and Easter. I guess just the the liturgical calendar. It lives. It makes us live in uh, in our humanity and realize that like yeah, it's not going to be. This is a this is a huge deal, and you're going to need the next four weeks to prepare for the coming of this guy. And it, it focuses your entire life on on the birth of Jesus. And I love how it it's not just like a moment or like a couple of days, but the church not only takes before Christmas, but it takes after Christmas. And then you have to kind of sit into it because I, I know I'm a guy, I would just, if it wasn't like that, I would use Christmas. Mm-hmm. I would just use it for two days and it would be great. And like, oh, there's Jesus. He came and went and that's awesome. It's over. But no, we take literally months to prepare for him. And then we celebrate and party afterwards because it's such a huge deal that and and even the idea of Christmas in the in the secular calendar, it takes all these important things and kind of tosses it up in the air as well. Like all all of these big business plans, all of these in the middle of the year, just everyone takes a week off because it's Christmas, dude. Mm-hmm. And that's just what you do, you know? Um, yeah, it reminds me of like the thing you said at the very beginning, turning everything on its head. Uh, there's something from Everlasting Man, uh, Chesterton. I remember the the thing I was talking about with three caves that changed the world, that mm-hmm. talk I want to write, that, oh, yeah. that the caveman we imagine is this savage but is actually an artist. Like all we know about the caveman is that he made art unlike any other animal. Um, he says that the second cave, the cave of the nativity, because the, you know, the stable, so to speak, that Jesus was born in was actually a cave. Uh, that's where they lived in, in Bethlehem in the Middle East. They, there were these natural caves that they would dig out and make into their homes and in the back they'd keep the animals in the winter to keep everybody warm and that's where he would have been born uh, for privacy's sake and stuff. But he says that um, in the nativity God himself becomes a caveman uh, born in a cave and in in doing that there is a a great reversal of all of the like for instance the, the three wise men who look up in the heavens and you know can tell the future or uh, maybe they're scientists and they understand the workings of the universe through the motion of the heavens. But then their gaze is directed in the opposite direction. Rather than looking out into the heavens, they look down and in into a cave to see the real author of all of creation. And uh, there's a, a great turning inside out of everything that to find the meaning um, of everything is not to look out, but to look in. And then the other one is that that the the king of all creation is born underneath creation, uh, like below the pillars of all of the powers of the earth. So um, the revolution, you know, Mary's canticle, he will cast down the mighty from their thrones. The revolution or the, the, the coming of the true king is a revolution from below that um, turns everything upside down and inside out that now... The lowly are exalted and the humble um, are given thrones and, and everything like that. And that turning inside out of everything is why I think like the teddy bear toss thing is it's maybe a silly example. But to me, just communicated that uh, we get to stop taking ourselves so darn seriously now because God is a baby born in a cave. 
you know, it like makes so little sense, but, um, it's so true because it resonates in our hearts. Um, the, that that is what love really is. And that's why we were made and how we were made, uh, that like, it just, it doesn't, it can't help, but have this effect of all, all this little, even, even as we move away from the true meaning of it, you know, in secular society, it still strikes a chord with people enough that like, yeah, let's take a break from office work and have a party, even if we're going to call it a holiday party or whatever. Like, let's be honest. What's happening here is that we realize that life is not just about the workaday world and taking everything so seriously. It's like there's something that's happened here that we live in a culture that's formed by the message that God became a baby. And now, like uh, Chesterton says, like it would have been so foreign and alien to any ancient peoples to associate the mighty uh, first cause, the principle of all existence with a child. Like we just take it for granted, but it's a total revolution, you know? Yeah, which of course, when you add the cross to that, it makes it even more ridiculous. Um, but JP and I were talking last night and what was the the Chesterton line you had? Because we were talking about how cool it is that... Like, and even in, I don't know about every single gospel account, but how specific, how specific it is, historically speaking, of when Christ came into the world, where it's not just like, oh, yeah, trust me, it was sometime way back when. But right. he's like, and Philip was tetrarch of such and such. And right. Yeah, what, yeah, what's yeah. that big, what's that big canticle or the big, um, I don't know, it's like an exalted that we sing for Christmas that gives um the exact location the I exact know what you're talking ruler. about mm-hmm. i forget I what that's called well what was the the thing you said about chesterton yeah it was chesterton responding to people saying that religion especially christianity is just a big fantasy like sci-fi fairy tale and he kind of leads it up to <clears throat> to make you think that he's going to say these people obviously know nothing about christianity but then out of nowhere he turns and says these people don't know anything about fairy tales like fairy tales start <laughs> once upon a time in a galaxy far far away or you know in never neverland but the gospel starts in judah in galilee in nazareth at this time at this place these specific people did these specific things i just total like a total reversal of what any fairy tale actually is and it's total chesterton action and that's how he yeah total misdirection that's, yeah it's how he does it and it's genius it's awesome <clears throat> Um, you know, I, I've never heard, I just started, a uh, everlasting man and, uh, you kind of spoiled the whole thing there for me. Sorry, but, bro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. no, but you know, actually I did have a funny encounter, uh, with my girlfriend the other day after mass and she asked me like, why, why do we care so much about Christmas? Like it's happens every year. Uh, and dump her dude. Like, <laughs> 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 well, she was, she was just wondering, like, what's the big deal with Jesus coming at Christmas? Because he comes every day at Mass. Like, why do we, why do we treat Christmas with such a big deal, but we don't treat every Mass like it's a big deal? And you know, eventually we 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 figured it all out, you know, because we're human and we need the schedule and, and whatnot. But it was good for me to reflect afterward. Like, man, that girl really loves the Eucharist. Like, she really thinks that the Eucharist is a is a big deal if she's comparing every mass that she has every daily mass with christmas because i know christmas is a big deal i mean that's like everyone knows christmas is a big deal and so for her 
to and just to remind me and remind herself how important every mass is because the same thing is happening we're actually coming into the presence of jesus um entirely into into his presence uh it, it was just it was just really cool for me to, to think about and uh a good little extra preparation for christmas and, and for each mass yeah totally i mean the that what is it the patristics some church father said that the you know the manger is actually a food trough that's what like ox and whatnot would eat out of and that's what jesus is laid in as a prefigurement of the fact that he's going to become food for the world that it's not enough for him just to be with us he wants to live in us uh, like saint paul says no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and as human beings with bodies uh part of that is like the physical um of what father hennessy says he wants to be as close to us as nourishment is to our bones and so jesus being laid in the manger even though he's a baby and maybe that would have been i don't know a typical crib in that situation because it fits a baby nicely but it's also a, a foreshadowing of the fact that his destiny is to to feed the entire world with himself uh, and so yeah the eucharist is christmas every day you know you i was uh, reading the other day about uh world war one and uh you reminded me you're talking about the teddy bear toss i'm almost positive uh on christmas that they toss teddy bears from trenches <laughs> uh now they're tossing <laughs> these are going for needy kids by the way uh no no but <laughs> you said on, i'm gonna freak christmas out eve, man that's awesome <laughs> christmas eve both the german and the french like rose up out of their trenches and went and sang and played soccer in the yeah, like in between in, the in trenches. The, in the field between the two trenches and just kind of had a complete ceasefire. And yeah, I've heard that story. That's like a legendary Christmas event. Yeah. Garth That's Brooks absurd. has a song about it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's totally absurd that that would happen. It, like the bloodiest battle of all time, insanity. And then because Christmas Eve is there, you get up out of your trench and the dude that you're going to slaughter, you go and sing and and play songs with that's a, but you're right jp that's the perfect that's like the teddy bear toss to take into its logical conclusion like yeah, what could be more quick, serious than like geopolitical warfare but even then it's like yeah but guys come on it's christmas let's play some soccer <laughs> like okay <laughs> you know how they do you know how that whole thing started how they like had the courage to rise up out of the trenches were there? they singing silent night yeah they sang silent night that's right so nice. called the yeah, Garth Brooks has a song called Bellowwood that explains the whole thing. It's probably super accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Garth Brooks, that guy, he's a historian. Yeah, absolutely. He's a historian first and a singer-songwriter second. Um, Between him and Wikipedia, dude, that is my history. Lord. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, your your story, just what you were talking about early, Rob, with the, the answer to the incarnation, I guess what we've all been talking about. One... I actually kind of find it difficult to just properly distinguish and put into honestly the boxes that I want to put things in. Mm. But the the Eucharist with this you know the second coming with Christ already being here, the eschatological tension of the already but not yet, the desire for Christ to feed everybody, but he's feeding us now, but there's going to be a more perfect fulfillment that comes later. And I guess just looking at all of those tensions that mm -hmm. I, I think are kind of underlying under the surface of everything that we're talking about. Because, yeah, Christ really did come and then he really is with us. But he actually really is going to come later. 
and like all of those things are at play simultaneously. But uh, I had a I had a pretty cool holy hour. I was down at the cathedral yesterday and in Atlanta, and just did my holy hour in their little side chapel. And one of the images that I had with the the father longing to love me was just like laying down and having the father rub like balm or oils or like things like that on on me. And it was just kind of like, you know, oils are always kind of healing and pretty weird, balmy. dude. What's that? Nothing. Yeah, it was like a it was like a honestly it was like uh like a a massage, a massage or something like that. Were you laying in the pew? I was laying in the pew and I was taking up the whole chapel. Did you actually did go you, to a massage parlor? Did you apparently, disrobe to your comfort level? Apparently you can't pray shirtless or whatever. <laughs> so I'm like, what? That's so baloney sauce. After I got kicked out, I came back up uh, to the house and my little brother, Chris, he has this, dude, we have some bizarre, yeah, weird, weird things going on. Just like strange injuries. He had this huge scab developing on the back of his head out of nowhere. And I mean, they all wrestle and it's like kind of disgusting, very close contact sport. But he has this lump that's growing on the back of his neck. It's a lump. It's a significant. It's like a marble. Like a goiter? On his neck. A goiter. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I honestly, I keep telling him it's like insects that have burrowed under his skin. <laughs> yeah, it's like going to explode which, at some oh. point with baby spiders. Exactly. That's what that's I keep disgusting. saying. Yeah. And it's that's the scariest thing ever. <laughs> um, but how old is it, he? I guess he went to the doctor and it turned out it was just a bug bite that was infected. Uh. Kind of like more under the skin. So they're giving him antibiotics and uh, they they got him some new um, some new medicine. And when I came home yesterday, after having this holy hour reflection, I come in and I'm reading and my dad comes into the kitchen with Chris and starts rubbing this ointment on the back of Chris's neck. And Chris is just kind of, he's not laying down, but he's just kind of standing there with his head down, kind of in my dad's chest. And my dad is just over him and he's just rubbing this oil right on him, right on the back of his neck. Wow. I'm like, holy crap. That's weird. (laughs) It's like exactly what I just prayed about. Hmm. And, And so there's this... Because even there, there's a reality that the Father is loving me. The Father is loving us. And He is longing to, to give us these things and to heal us and to enrich us and to fulfill us. But also, like right now, these things are being fulfilled in our, in our lives today. Just like the Eucharist, Christ really came, but He really is fulfilling us with Himself. But then again, at the same time... Uh, there's going to come a time where the Father is truly going to fulfill us. We're really going to be face-to-face with us, and He's really going to be in that physical, close contactness, like, Dad, hold me kind of deal. All of those things are at play simultaneously. And so it's, um, I mean, it is very human to have the tension of waiting for it, enjoying it, remembering what also happened, but also longing for the fulfillment of it all simultaneously and i i really think that that's kind of that's the whole picture of christmas that's going on because we do have a child coming we are enjoying him in the eucharist really being here but we all also are remembering that he really did come with very specific dates and very specific times and in a manger and all these totally real 
in absurd details. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? Last night, <clears throat> I was walking around outside uh, praying my rosary. And uh, it's a, it a fun little walk because it's just super like musty and uh, foggy and cold and dark. And I was walking around and I started walking back towards my house. And I realized that not a single house had any human activity present in or around it. Not a creature was stirring? Not even a mouse? Not (laughs) even a mouse, man. Not even a mouse. Very, very applicable there. Gosh, nailed it. And that's it. That's the whole whole story. Wow, what a sweet story. (laughs) (laughs) And so so I I started getting towards towards my house. And and I, I hear... Like loud chanting or cheering coming from my <laughs> glorious <laughs> chanting. <laughs> no, loud cheering coming from my house, and it just kind of made me smile. Like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, this is my house. Uh, you know, being out in the darkness, there's like, there's just nothing. There's no human comfort. There's no, you know, there's just nothing. There's no love. You're out there alone in the dark, in the cold. And as I got closer to the house, kind of like great memories came up of my childhood running around and you know, breaking stuff in the front yard and playing basketball with my brothers and stuff. And then and then I snuck in the garage and I'm in the kitchen getting some cereal and I'm now in the house and I'm now I know what everyone is cheering about in the in the living room and that's my sister playing piano. And so I'm I'm enjoying it there. And then finally I enter into the living room where every the whole family is and kind of like the fullness of the love of the family is revealed to me. So, Mike, it kind of reminded me of what you were talking about, how yeah. we're enjoying Jesus' coming now, but it will be fulfilled eventually in the future. Huh. Uh, and it, it, was, it, was a, it was a good reflection for me, especially coming off retreat. One thing that I really prayed a lot about was the prodigal son and the returning from the dregs of society and sin to the, the house, the father's house. Um, and so it, it was... It was a great follow-up to the retreat to actually have that like physical experience of being outside alone and then making my way into the father's house. Um, That's cool, man. Dad was even running around. Yeah, he was running around greeting people. He ran out and greeted JP. And then nope. I start actually. Actually, no, I got in there. He put I a ring on his finger and. Slaughter the fatted calf. We were no, slaughtering even... all these animals. <laughs> we're like, whoa, we have really gone pagan here. No, your dad, better. your dad is just like <laughs> spying on all your prayers in your journals and then this time trying to like fulfill them. <laughs> like, oh, Mike was praying about ointment today. Here, come here. I'm gonna no, to anoint top your off head. The whole reflection, I get in there and I'm telling a killer story. And my dad looks at me and goes, John Paul, shut up. <laughs> Dude, it's so true. Look, this is actually, this is what was actually going down in the living room little area is Regina, she was playing with my younger sister. She was playing the piano. Dee, 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 dee. Joe, get out of here, man. We're podcasting. Oh, look, he almost got assaulted by a gun. Dude, he had a Nerf gun there, gentlemen. Um, so Regina was playing the piano, dee, 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 playing Christmas music or whatever. And no joke, my dad will just have them come in and play, and he'll just sit on one of the couches and and just listen. He just absolutely loves listening to them play the piano. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure dad's a genius and has created all of us to do a task that he just loves. <laughs> now he can just use us to fulfill what these. What is my task? I don't know. He might may have missed the boat oh, on you. <laughs> so, so all the girls, all the girls they play, and he just has them come in and play. 
And so we're all sitting around as a family listening to her play. And then somehow cat video discussions begin. And then there's a laptop out and everyone is watching cat videos <laughs> on YouTube, which my mom had never seen before. So she's losing it. So that was actually the roar that you heard. But then it was also dad being mad at everyone because he couldn't hear the piano because everyone else was watching cat videos. <laughs> he was so pissed. This is so dumb. She's playing like Claude Debuse, you know, whatever. And they're watching cat videos. <laughs> Get out of here. You pedestrians. Dogs go to heaven. <laughs> we can we can edit that out. He is. He is. No, all of this is getting edited out. I, I, I think I have like literally ten minutes of material. This is the good stuff. Come on. <laughs> yeah. This is the good stuff, dude. Well, dudes, I'm sitting I do. in a robe. Dude, we're both sitting in a robe, and I'm wearing a Santa hat right now. A Santa. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a shirt on. Yeah. I keep trying to wrap this up, well, and the Mets is keep ruining it. it. <laughs> Dude, right, we're guys, here Merry for Christmas. the banter, man. That's why we come. That's why I come to this thing. Come for the, for the banter, banter, stay for the nugs. Ooh. Let's end it Dude, there, that all right? Is season four. That's the title of the season. That's it, man. <laughs> that's that's season Whoa. four, dude. Yeah. Come for it. the nugs, stay for the banter. Oh, you got it wrong. Nope, nope, that was right. Okay, we got to get going. See you, Father. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, guys. Well, Merry <laughs> Christmas to y'all. All right, you guys too. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Thanks man. for letting me join today. It was fun. You're welcome, John. Yeah, Paul. thanks for thanks for coming on, JP. Are you ready? Three dogs north are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.